In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent! Repent, for the kingdom of God of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, when he said the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather girdle around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit that befits repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the granary but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Thank you, thank you for helping me to illustrate a point, a point that some of us forget, that most of us do not like to be unprepared even to sing the song of preparation from God's spell. It's a principle of life. If you had been standing where I now stand, I wish you would have seen some of you when uh, unannounced. Unprinted on the program, these two soloists began, joined eventually with the other members of the choir, and then when I asked you to join in, some of you started looking for the bulletin, thinking you had missed something. 
Others of you thought some present some sopranos had gone berserk and were looking to see where they were. Others of you started looking toward the floor, a little embarrassed, didn't know quite what to do. You thought you should do something, so you just turned away. And that's all right. That's the point that I'm trying to make. Nobody likes to be unprepared. And God knows that. God is the one who has given us these feelings of insecurity when we are unprepared. God knows that we feel we do a much better job when we have time for preparation and we know what's going to happen. That is why when God decided to send his only begotten son into the world, he did so only after preparing the world for the coming of Jesus. Before the preaching, you see, there was always prophecy. Before the proclamation, preparation, before Jesus, there's always John. The fourth gospel says there was a man sent from God and his name was John. He came for testimony. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light. One of the things that we must remember was that part of Jesus' success was based upon the preparation which John gave to him. The disciples of Jesus, many of them first, were disciples of John. The proclamation made sense because the preparation had been thoroughly done. And just as Jesus' birth and preaching began to make sense only because of the preparation made by John that first Christmas in that first century, so it is true today. Jesus Christ will make sense today only when we, the people who are the successors to John the Baptist, those of us of the Christian church who have been called to prepare ye the way of the Lord, we will have to be effective, and it's our job, no one else's, our job to prepare for the birth of Jesus Christ in the heart of somebody this year. So how do you do it? What do we say? How do you prepare the way of the infinite, eternal God to make his entrance into the heart of an individual. I suggest we do it the same way John did it. He was pretty successful. He sets quite a prototype. And the way he did was to use his voice. His voice. When you read in the third gospel about the activities of John the baptizer, it says there that when he began to preach, people came from everywhere to hear him. And they said, Who are you? Are you the Christ? He said, No, I'm not the Christ. Are you Elijah? 
the number one hero in the Jewish tradition. No, I am not Elijah. Are you the prophet? No, I'm not the prophet. Who are you then, they said. He said, I'm that chap that Isaiah was writing back about a long time ago. And he introduced him with the words from Isaiah 40. I am the voice, the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way. So John the baptizer became as known as John the voice. That's the way you prepare for the coming of the Lord into somebody's life, by using the voice. But I don't know what it is. In our day and age, respectable people seem somehow to have lost the understanding of the meaning of the power of the voice. God, in creating us, ladies and gentlemen, has given unto us a powerful tool of persuasion. You have great powers of persuasion. And all of them are concentrated mostly in the voice. When you want somebody to do something, you can wave a hand, shake a leg, but the easiest way is merely to speak a word. There's power in the voice. John the baptizer knew it, but many of us are neglecting our voices today. And that's too bad, it's against nature. A little baby understands the power of persuasion that is in his or her voice. And whenever they want something, what do they do? They don't write a letter. They cry with the voice. And we run after the cry. Someone who is in distress, the quickest way to get help is with the voice call for help. Lovers who are separated by distance, they know Instead of investing in a 15-cent postage stamp, they grow a magnificent telephone bill simply because there's power in the voice that you cannot have in the pen. The Christian Protestant Church understands this principle, and we've been using it now for several hundreds of years. When you come to worship, we don't sit you down and and give you a piece of paper to read, nor just to sit and listen to music or, or meditate upon some idea. Usually half of the worship service centers around what happens in a pulpit, using the power of the voice of a preacher. That is why in Bakerstown Church, you see, when we have requests for sermon copies, we don't send a manuscript. We sell a tape. Because the power is in the voice. And the sermons that I preach, they are preached for the ear to hear, not for the eye to read. I told you two weeks ago that God has been speaking to me in special ways these days. And these next couple of sermons came to me in a very mysterious and really spooky way. I was having trouble with this one. In fact, it wasn't scheduled to be preached until next week, but I wrestled this past week in my study, filed up the whole office procedure, delayed the printing of the bulletin, and 
changed many plans around at the last simply because I felt that this sermon had to be preached today and not next week. Couldn't quite understand why. Last night, after coming home from a dinner, working through this sermon for the next to last time, as my procedure is every time before preaching, I received a telephone call. It was from a radio listener in Swickley, Pennsylvania. He introduced himself by saying, Dr. Morley, you know I... you don't know who I am. I've been reading some of the mail that's been coming to the radio ministry broadcast and recognized his name because it's in a letter practically every week requesting a tape. He said, I've just had a wonderful day and you have been on my mind all day long. My wife and I have just finished listening to one of your tapes. And I knew, I don't know why, but I just knew I had to get in touch with you today. Said I wanted to write a letter, but I thought it would be better if we could speak with our voices. Now that kind of stuff just drives me up the walls, ladies and gentlemen. Coincidence? speaking on the power of the voice, having a voice conversation with somebody I don't even know. You see, there's power in the voice. And Reverend James Jones knew that very, very well. And we of the Christian faith who march under the same banner that he supposedly carried are shocked by what happened down in Guyana. But we, of all people, should not be surprised as to how it happened. And the more shocked and surprised we are only shows that we do not understand the power of the preached word and the power that is in the voice of a person, because that's how he did it, if he did what he is alleged to have done. He did it with his voice that News Time Week or Newsweek says was soft yet strong. That's how he did it. If you want to know how, he used the power of his voice. A power that you and I have, but he used it for evil, not for good, to bring death. When God wants us to use it to bring life. That's the way you prepare the way of the Lord, by using your voice. You have power. The power of persuasion. That's a God-given gift. Use it. Use your voice as the instrument of persuasion that God has intended it to be. That's what John did. But for goodness sake, be careful how you use your voice. That's what Reverend Jones did not do. Make sure you have the message. The message which is of God. That's the message that John had. When he said he was the voice, according to Luke's account, I am the voice crying in the wilderness. The voice's job, says Luke, is that which is described in the prophecy of Isaiah. Speak. And the valleys shall be filled 
and the mountains and the high hills shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough shall be made smooth. And that's beautiful. If you understand anything at all about Hebrew concrete language, one of the interpretations and translation of such beautiful, powerful poetry is simply this. The valleys, those who are empty and shallow, who have nothing, they shall be filled. The high mountains and the tall hills, those who have influence and affluence, those who are powerful and riding too high, they shall be brought low to humility. The crooked, the dishonest, the disloyal, the liars, they shall be made straight. And the rough, the people of violence and crudeness and ugliness, they shall be made smooth. That's what the prophecy means in our language. And the way this is done is with the voice. The voice speaking the message. And Luke goes on in his explanation and parallels this thing with concrete illustrations. For he says, yes, the valleys shall be filled. And he tells upon the blue bloods, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those who had great ancestors of great religious wealth, those people whose names were on church rolls but never attended, those people who thought they had it right because their names were in the right place. He said unto them, don't fool yourselves. Just because your great-granddaddy Abraham, he was the leader, don't think that you're getting in on his coattails. You people, you're shallow. You people, you're thin. You people, you are filled with nothing. And he says, start bearing fruit that befits repentance. Change that around, he says. And with a voice, John reminded the empty people of their emptiness. He reminded, he reminded the high and the lofty and the mighty of their mightiness and that oftentimes a haughty spirit comes before a mighty fall. He reminded the crooked of their crookedness and he reminded the roughness or the, the rough people of their roughness. And he did this with his message of R and R, and I'm not talking about rest and relaxation. That's not the way you prepare the way of the Lord. He did it with his message of repentance and righteousness. As I have said, he, he, he told those empty people, hey, you're empty. You can't get in on your grandfather's credentials. You've got to do something yourself. And he put the word right to them. He said to the high and to the mighty and those who had so much, he looked right at them and says, Do what is right. Take two of your coats. Give one of them away. Share your soup bowls. He said to the tax collector, the crooked people in those days, he says, You're dishonest. What you're doing is wrong. Take no more than is allotted you. He said to the soldiers, Cut out your rough violence. Cut out your false accusations. Be content with your wages. And 
he spoke to the man to man, toe to toe, and specifically, with his voice, he gave the message of repentance and of righteousness. And that's our job today. That's what we're here to do. That's the way you prepare the way of the Lord. Just not wishing everybody a Merry Christmas and ho, ho, ho. You speak. And you speak about rightness. And you tell people specifically who are not following rightness, including yourself. There better be some repentance and things had better change. Well, that's tough. You're telling me it's tough. Preparing the way of the Lord has never been easy. And it won't be easy for us either. You say, but yes, I have to go to certain people. That's right. I have to say certain things. That's right. Take the lesson from John the Baptizer. He was invited to preach at Herod's palace. That's like being invited to preach at the White House. And he went up to the king, the king who happened to be living with a woman who was his brother's wife. And you know the story. John the baptizer. If it had been me, I'd have probably gone up there and preached a sermon on joy or happiness and tried to avoid the obvious. Not John. He took as his text the seventh commandment. And yes, that's the one you think it is about. And he said, this stuff has got to cease. That sermon cost John the baptizer his head. Literally. But that's the message. Righteousness, do what is right. And turn around and do it. And I want to warn you, there'll be some people that will go after your head when you make that message. But for everyone who wants to act like Herod and Herodias, believe me, there will be ten people out there who will be very, very grateful for your direct, specific, simple presentation in love of their unrighteousness and for their need of repentance. Believe me, there are. There are all sorts of people out there who are empty and who are shallow, who are mighty and who are proud, who are crooked who are rough. And they know they have problems. And they're looking for some solution. But they can't find it. And the reason they cannot is because no friend, no one in love will go and say, Hey, this is not right. Repent of it. Nobody will go except people like Reverend Moon and Reverend Jones and about 120 other cult leaders that are running free around America and other parts of the world. They're not afraid to use their voices. They're not afraid to tell people of the need for repentance. And they tell people, and some people get mad, but many people, your children, your grandparents, many friends, they are attracted to this because there is that emptiness, that crookedness, that roughness, that feeling of high and mighty that they know is wrong and they're just waiting for somebody to tell them that is wrong. That's why there are colonies down in Guiana and in San Francisco 
New Wilmington and all places around. That's why they're there, because people with a voice are willing to give the message and tell people that they need to repent. The problem with those cult leaders like Reverend Jones is simply they don't end with the message of repentance. They do not do what John did and what we are supposed to do with our message. After we tell the need of repentance and show the righteousness, then we point them to Jesus. That's what John did. He pointed them to Jesus. But not Jones, not Reverend Moon, not 120 other soul leaders. No, they turn it in on themselves and ask people to look at them. Jones actually believed he was Jesus Christ himself. You see, when you present somebody with the need for repentance and tell them what is right, they're going to start to depend upon you, and that's the dangerous moment. They're going to ask you, and what you and I have to do is point them to Jesus. There were many, many people, you see, that wanted to make John the baptizer, the Messiah, the King, the Christ. He had to fight more to his friends than he had his enemies. No, he says, I'm not. I'm not even worthy to carry the shoes of him. He comes behind me. He pointed them to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. You and I, we can wash the people in baptism. Yes, we can point out their dirtiness. We can say they have a need. But we cannot fill that need. And when we do, we sin. Our job is to point them to Jesus who alone can take away the sin and fill them with fire and the Holy Spirit. That's how we prepare. By speaking, using the voice, with the message of repentance and righteousness, and point the people to Jesus. Christmas is not just sending out greetings, buying food, inviting people to parties, purchasing gifts, wrapping presents. No, no. To the Christian, it's something far more than that. It's this, but it's far more. It's realizing the power of speech that you have in your voice. It's proclaiming the message individually and specifically to family, to friends, and to yourself of repentance and righteousness. And it's pointing people toward Jesus. And if that happens here, as I believe it's going to this year, the Jesus who was born in Bethlehem will this year be born in the hearts of some people in Bakerstown. Amen. And a... <laughs>